Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. Today's guest is a change management leader and a board member at Recovery Community Foundation of Forsyth. He's currently a senior organizational change consultant at Cerner Corporation. Please welcome to the show, Brett Broderick. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing well, Justin. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. I know we had some uh, scheduling changes that we had to uh, accommodate, and that's just a sign of the busy times for everybody. But thank you for making the time to join us today. Yeah, no, th- thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Let me start out as we, we often do in the show and ask you for your take on what you think the biggest challenge you see facing the deskless workforce today. Okay, that's a good question. Um, and I think that my answer is probably... Uh, it's not the answer that a lot of people want to hear, but I think that in my experience and things that I see, I, I feel like this is the, the, it may even be twofold, but I think the biggest issue that we see facing the, the deskless workforce or the frontline workers is efficiency. And I know that that's what everybody's working towards, right? We're working towards efficiency. We've got technologies that are coming out that are helping, uh, you know, bring about collaboration, bring about efficiency, but the problem is, is, is with efficiency is to what ends are we looking to better uh, an experience, a you know, productivity? Um, there's always got to be something on the other end that's taking away. And what I've seen over the years is as we continue to create more efficiency through technology implementation, uh, we lose quality and we lose certain things that we end up hitting a block and we have to figure out how do we get over that block again. Unfortunately, the individuals that are caught in the crosshairs are the frontline workers. Now, I'm not saying that I'm against efficiency or I'm against doing things uh, smarter, but what I, what I do see as an issue and a problem is as we create uh, new, new platforms or new technologies that plug into those platforms and we push them down to the frontline worker and the end goal is efficiency in a sense, uh, we end up almost having, uh, you know, the, I guess that the, um, the dog that bites the hand that feed it uh, mentality where uh, we lose something um, in that mix. So I would say that, uh, again, I'm not against the productivity and efficiency, but that is the, the issue that is faced. Uh, I think the, the biggest challenge to the frontline worker, we see a lot of things that are coming out uh, to battle that, um, we see smart contracts uh, that may actually hit a little bit more of the, the middle management role, but we see that that smart contracts with blockchain technology will ultimately flow down to the to the frontline worker. So, you know, understanding, uh, you know, bringing more efficiency into that, not having a real change management methodology or model when understanding what do we know about our frontline workers? What are they facing on a, on a daily basis? Is the efficiency really going to create 
a better work environment for the frontline worker? Is it, or is it going to come back to bite the organization in the end? So we could dig a lot deeper into that, but I would say efficiency around technology is probably the biggest challenge. Well, this is a fantastic start. The reason we really wanted to have this change management series mm -hmm. is to really talk even more about the human element and the mm -hmm. impact of, of change on them. And you, you raise an interesting point that I haven't really thought much about, which is the, the byproducts of the efficiency gains and how that's affecting the humans. I, I would like to drill into that a little bit further. What do you think are some of the, the negatives that may be felt by the frontline workers themselves? So I think, you know, again, I, I'm not an expert at this. I've had enough to kind of see where we fit in to uh, the human element of new technologies coming in that are supposed to drive efficiencies. But I think when you first look at it, you're, you already have a frontline workforce that feels the pressure of needing to do more, right? They, you know, their, their metrics is the, I guess maybe over the past 10 years, we've seen everything is metrics related, right? Uh, you know, you've got a dashboard for everything. So you've got somebody who's sitting on a, a management level, who's got a dashboard, they're looking at, you know, is it a delivery driver? How many packages are they delivering? You know, what is the, you know, what is the, uh, you know, the damage rate or the quality control perspective, you know, it's all driven by metrics. So we bring in technologies that are trying to help improve that. It really, from a psychological perspective, is just adding more to the frontline worker to worry about. Um, a lot of times that's because you don't have proper change met methods put into place because, you know, you may have a board of directors or a company that's, you know, there's the, the shareholders are in mind. So they're trying to increase, you know, market share or revenue um, margin, whatever that looks like it goes down to the frontline worker and they don't understand the impact of that. So, so I would say that uh, that's probably, if, when you dig into it, the first thing that I would say is that the pressures that are already on the shoulders of the frontline worker only get, uh, they're only added to it, so. Yeah, so, so it might be on the receiving end of this conversation that they just feel like, oh great, now I just have to do more work and, and get paid the same amount and work the same number of hours, but now they're just trying to squeeze more work out of me in, in the same time frame. Is that essentially what you're saying? Yeah, I, I think that's exactly what I'm saying. And I, yeah. I, you, you read stories about it all the time. You, even, even companies as smart as Amazon that have got the productivity game down to the nth degree you know, their, their frontline workers feel the pressure. And, you know, you hear about the delivery drivers, you hear about the people in the warehouses. Now, I'm not to say those aren't great places to work, but you do hear about the effects of faster, better, quicker. So. Yeah. You know, I, as a technology provider, I've been a part of a lot of those conversations at headquarters where we're working in conference rooms, trying to talk about how we can, uh, you know, provide technology that will um, allow facilitate the increase in productivity. But what's also interesting that I've witnessed in most of those conversations is it's never, I've never once witnessed a scenario where the company wants to cause discomfort to the employees, mm -hmm. right? And in fact, in most cases, inside those uh, inner workings of that project design and the implementation of that project are often conversations about how we can actually be making the lives of those frontline workers easier. I think where the breakdown is sometimes is the communication. And I think that's where, you know, you talk about from a change management perspective, um, it, we're probably not paying enough attention overall to the change management, uh, just having a practice in place, having 
uh, a plan in place for how we're going to communicate those things. And I think a lot of times it just comes across as nothing more than efficiency improvement. When a lot of times I can tell you from having been in part of the meetings that some of the motivations were to make it easier for them to be successful. What are your thoughts on uh, maybe some some practices around change management and how we might try to head that off before those problems uh, occur? Yeah, so you bring up a, a great point because I've been in those those discussions as well as well as a director within the company. You know, you want you want to help help the company. You want to find better ways to do it, but you know, I, I mean, I think any CEO or president or director that's uh, been connected to the front line in any way, shape, or form, they've got a heart for them, right? You know, yeah. they. You know, that's definitely a discussion is how do we not add more burden or, or things like that. But you, you make a, a great point where it takes me back. So IBM did a study. I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but it's I mean, I'm going to try to remember the name of the study, but it's it's uh, making change work while work keeps changing. Have you heard of this study before? I haven't, but I'm excited to. Yeah. So it's it's a great study. I would go and read it. So the main concept is really they, they followed a whole lot of companies over uh, organizational change implement, implementations, maybe around ERP systems, uh, you know, big high level change. And what they really wanted to find out was which companies could be classified as almost a change architect, which ones did it right? And how do we look at what they did right? And how can we take that uh, data, um, you know, put it into a study and help other companies understand it? So it goes really deep and there's a lot you can get from that study. But what really comes out to me is exactly what you said. You said communication and you know that when it comes to change management, communication is sort of the mecca of the foundation of how this whole thing is going to play out. So in this IBM study, they wanted to look at what were the factors that were most prevalent within a successful change architect type of environment. And a lot of people would think like, okay, well, it would be training or it would be uh, the creation of a great team. Um, it might be uh, aligning compensations, you know, the way it would, should, should be done. So if you look at that, those are some hard factors, right? And you would think that, oh, those are really important. But as what you found out, what you find out, sorry, is that those were the last factors. When, when they surveyed these companies and they found out what was the most important factor to follow through this change, it was not hard factors. It was actually soft factors. So the number one thing was communication from top sponsor or executive sponsorship. So are you hearing from the president, from the CEO, from your leaders, how important this change is, how, they're, how they've bought into it, why it's important to them? So that was the number one. It goes down to, uh, I want to say that, uh, you know, shared vision was right up there too. So do they, is, is it a siloed off company and everyone's got their own idea of why we're doing this? Or does the whole company have a shared vision of why this change is coming down? And then you have other ones like, you know, teamwork, you know, is it a company that, in, I don't want to say incentivizes, but motivates proper teamwork amongst the company when it comes to this change methodology uh, implementation. So as you work through those, those are the top ones. And it all boils down to communication. Are you communicating your vision? Does your top leadership communicate the importance and why it's being done? And do you have a team that understands that that's working together well? So it's communication. And, and IBM goes into a lot more detail. I'm giving you the very Cliff's Notes version of it, but you hit the nail on the head. 
I'm going to look that uh, study up. I think that would be a good reading for, uh, for me and my team for sure. And, and hopefully for the rest of the audience. So I'm going to go look at that and we'll see if we can put a link um, to that in the show notes for the podcast. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, definitely. It's making change work while work keeps changing. It's IBM. Okay. That's perfect. Thank you. Yeah, when, when we think about the, the challenges from the deskless uh, workforce and we talk about the fact that it's it's increasing, um, you know, efficiency, and that's adding a lot of pressure to them. Do you think they would be saying the same thing if we were to ask them? If I interviewed them on a podcast and said, "What is the biggest challenge that you're facing?" Flipping that around from their view, looking back to the company, do you think they'd say the same thing that that's their biggest problem? Um, I think they might still. Again, that that this is a hard one to do. I think that that's what they feel. I think that's definitely going to be one of the first things that come out of their mouth. You know, anybody who, who is a frontline worker who truly has passion for that work, quality is a big piece of why they like to do it, right? So they want to know that they do their job well. They want to make sure that they have the resources to be able to do that job well. So you may hear that if they, you know, you may hear that if they, if they feel that, top management doesn't understand that, that the quality of the work that they put in is important to them, then yes, I think they may hear it. But if you were to question the frontline workers, uh, there's, and you know, I go, I, I love change man management methodology. So I'm going to go back to a lot of things that I've learned, but uh, ProSci, which is a, a huge leader in change management, they kind of coined the ADCAR model, which is one that I typically uh, love to, to work within that methodology, but they have really identified 10, and I'm not going to be able to, to name all 10 of them, but they have named 10 characteristics that the frontline worker or the individual uh, is really concerned about when it comes to any type of organizational change that comes down to it. So you're going to typically hear one of those 10 areas, and a lot of those things are what's going to happen to their standard operating procedures, right? You know, are those going to change? What's going to happen to the location and how they work? Is that going to change? Uh, money's definitely going to be one. You know, is you know, are, you know, is there going to be a change in compensation? So they, you know, frontline workers definitely care about that. But you know, there's these these ten key components that, as an organization is looking to roll out some sort of large change, organizational change uh, program. They really need to identify those 10 and you can go into ProSci, find those out. It gives you some very good structured way to understand how do you implement uh, measures to, uh, to counter those things and, and not necessarily counter them in a negative way. But yeah, the frontline worker is going gonna, is gonna to really be able to speak to those. But I think that they will still talk about quality over efficiency. Yeah, that's, that's good. I, when you you mentioned something uh, about just the the change perspective for them and how it's going to change their job. I think one of the things that we see with technology, particularly with frontline workers who have often been left out of a lot of the planning conversations, is the perception is that efficiency is going to actually work them out of a job. Mm -hmm. And I admit to being guilty of not recognizing that earlier in my career when we were trying to roll out technology in certain industries and we saw a lot of reluctance from the employees to embrace it. And, and we thought it was just reluctance to adopt technology just kind of for the sake of it. What we realized is that some of them felt threatened by the technology that, you know, mm -hmm. if there's 10 of us here today 
and we embrace this technology, there's only going to be eight of us here, you know, in 30 days. Do you think that do you have you seen any examples of that where you think that might affect, um, you know, their perspective on on how willing, willing they are to embrace the technology? Yeah, I definitely think so. But here's, here's where I kind of diverge, even somebody who has a, a huge passion for the frontline worker. Here's where I diverge from I guess what maybe the status quo would think on this subject. Um, so what we know is, is that just like gravity, we can't fight it, right? We can learn how to leverage it. And we can learn how to work with it. But we know that technology is ultimately going to change frontline workers' experiences. It may even eliminate some frontline worker positions. We know that's true. We know that that's a concern that they have out there. Um, so I guess the question is, is instead of, you know, how do we, uh, you know, how do we gloss over this reality? You know, what can we do with this reality? And how, what can we do for the frontline worker? And I think this is where companies, you know, maybe this is, uh, you know, sort of their, you know, their corporate social responsibility or something uh, to the worker. But I think this is where organizations really need to have clear cut uh, programs or initiatives that are all about giving the frontline worker access to uh, improving their skill sets, education, um, understanding, you know, I think it's, it's really the onus on the company to understand what technologies or what's coming over the next five years, understanding what frontline workers are going to be affected by it and helping those frontline workers know, do I need to get more skills? Do I need to see what a career path is and, you know, to ultimately be able to bring those people up to a new position. So when this technology comes, it, it shows that we cared about that role and we gave them the opportunity to do it. So yes, it is a concern, but I don't think it's a concern. We need to understand it's a reality at the same time. What you just hit on is an important part. You know, my day job, we have a, a technology training platform that we help frontline workers um, become successful with the technology that they need. And so when you talk about that uh, aspect of kind of upskilling the mm -hmm. individuals, it, the intent there is to allow them to be successful in that new world, right? So if we can get them comfortable with the communication piece and help them understand that um, their role is actually preserved through their adoption of this technology, not the other way around, right? Um, that's an important part of the communication. So, you know, we can help some things with our platform, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, the, the employer really needs to make sure that they're covering off in the communication so yes. that those employees understand, you know, kind of what they're signing up for and, uh, you know, what their best path for success will really be. So I think that's a, a really good point. Yeah, I think that, you know, that we don't see, we don't see phone booth manufacturing plants anymore. We don't no. see cassette tape manufacturing plants anymore. And that's, you know, we would all be, we would all be glad to, you know, at least I'm super happy. I have a cell phone now and I have MP3s or Spotify or, or whatever. So, you know, we don't want to fight gravity or fight innovation. We just want to learn how to leverage it. And what is our responsibility with the frontline worker to make sure that they're prepared. They ultimately get to make the choice, but are, do they have the resources that they need to grow with that? And as a company, I think there is some responsibility there for us to provide that to them. Yeah, that makes sense. Tell me a little bit about your role um, at Cerner, if you don't mind, just share a, a little bit of uh, what you are spending your day on and uh, what you're responsible for and, and uh, how your, your passion for change management is, is affecting uh, your role there. Yeah, so uh, 
I love my role with Cerner. Um, you know, coming into the healthcare space uh, was uh, my, my wife was a nurse. Uh, she she now stays home with the children, and we've always had a, a passion for healthcare. Uh, and being able to get into change management within Cerner was really a dream um, to be able to see that opportunity. I'll, I'll make a little plug for change management real quick, and the fact that uh, you know this is this is my heart, but you know, the, the greatest things that we see in this world do, have, would not be here without change management, right? Uh, if you've got a heart for the environment, that's, that took change management methodology. If you've got a heart for diversity and inclusion, that took change management. If you have a heart for, you know, the way that, you know, the world, you know, looks at, uh, you know, foreign policy, that takes change management. So it, it all falls in there. But when I was able to come into Cerner and uh, apply my passion into that. It really changed a lot for me. On a day-to-day, -day, what that looks like is we work with hospitals um, and healthcare organizations to implement what uh, is called a new EHR, electronic health record. So the way to uh, best look at that would be if you understand what an ERP system is, uh, it's, it's almost the same way. It really connects everything within the hospital, allows for communication. It is the patient's health record but it also does things like connects with billing and uh, connects with pharmacy. It, it, it does really everything there. So you can only imagine when a hospital has been utilizing a system and everyone understands that system, they know it. And then you come in and you bring a new system. Uh, it is, the change is, is high and it causes a lot of anxiety, it causes a lot of frustration. Um, in a world where it's see more patients, uh, you know, get through the patients quicker. Uh, you know, the, you know, this is where that frontline worker perspective of quality comes into play because doctors and nurses care about patients. They, they know they have to document. They know they need to make sure that they cross their T's and dot their I's when it comes to all the regulatory pieces of healthcare. But their heart is taking care of patients. So when you bring in a new EHR. The first thing that they get frustrated about is, is how is this going to change my day in taking care of a patient? Is it going to cause more clicks within the within the, the medical record? Is it going to uh, is it going to take away from the time that I have face to face with the patient and have me buried in doing documentation? So what my job is to do is to come in and really understand what their current state is. What does it look like? What are they doing today? How many clicks are they, are they currently doing within the EHR? And then what is that time that they have with their patients? Then what I do is I take their future state within the new EHR. So when Cerner comes in, the new, their, their system will be the new EHR. And I take the current state and we look at what the future state is gonna be and we identify those change impacts in the middle, the gaps. So what we work through those gaps through a lot of different uh, methodologies. We do things called start, stop, continues and help them work through those, uh, those areas that might be on a higher level um, from what they used to do to what they're gonna do now. But what we ultimately do is we lead them through the, the transition phase. And so I don't know if you're aware of William Bridges transition model, but it's, it's a, just a very simple model that kind of shows when an individual goes through transition, uh, you know, they're operating at a product productivity level of, let's say, four. And as they go through transition, ultimately, they're going to follow a, almost an inverted bell curve where they drop a little bit below the productivity line.
they experience uh, what they call FUD, so fear, um, you know, uncertainty and doubt. And then through that transition, it leads them back up into a productivity level of hopefully either at or higher than where they were before. Change management does not erase the model. It does not get rid of going below the productivity line. What it does is it shortens it and it, and it makes it less, it, it, sh it shallows the curve, right? So uh, when we walk alongside these frontline workers, these nurses, uh, doctors, psychologists, when we walk, walk alongside them and we're elbow to elbow and we're walking through, we know what you're doing on a day-to-day. We care about that. That that's, you know, that is sort of the meat in what helps us understand how to move through that transition. Now we're going to walk through this and, and understand your workflows. You know, what do you do in the system when bringing a patient in, checking their vitals, looking up their allergies? How do you translate that into the future state EHR? And we really go through practicing some curated measures and strategies on how do we get through it. And then the whole goal is engagement and user adoption when go live hits. So that's it in a snapshot. You know, it would just be a lot easier if you could just shut the hospital down for 90 days and, uh, you know, get everybody <laughs> trained up, right? <laughs> but I, was, I, sus I suspect that's never in the cards. Nope. And train, and it's funny, training is such a small piece of it. You know, training is a very high level overview look at what they're supposed to do on a day-to-day -day basis. But if we were to only give them training and not give them change management, uh, I would say that you know, it, it would be destined to fail on that level of change. So talk through that a little bit. Uh, talk through where you see the delineation between change management and, and training. Help us understand where the, uh, the lines are drawn. Yeah, uh, that's a great question. So, so training is just one section of change management. So I'm going to walk you through the ad car model real quick. I don't know if, if if you're familiar with it or your listeners are, but to me, the ADCAR, and that's an acronym, and I'll explain it in a minute, to me is the best uh, to date methodology that really helps look at change management from an organizational perspective, but also from a individual perspective. Because remember, change happens at 30 feet, not 300. It happens on an individual level, but organizations have to be able to understand it. So ADCAR stands for awareness, desire, knowledge, ability, and reinforcement. And it is a linear progression. So you can't, you know, you can't jump from awareness and then jump over to knowledge. You have to basically work through those processes and I could spend an hour talking about them, but training falls within the knowledge piece. So if you go straight into an organization and say, hey, we're rolling out a new uh, uh, time, uh, time clock, technology. And, you know, you're going to come in and we're going to do a two hour training. And then you guys are expected to do it every single day. Well, what you missed was, was you missed the awareness. Why do you need a new technology? You know, what, what is the reason? And are you bringing awareness to the frontline worker and having them buy in for that? Well, once they're aware that there's a necessity for it, that creates a desire. And if you're really good at those top soft skills, you know, the CEO of the company is excited about it, shouting it out, he's gonna, he or she's gonna drive desire within those frontline workers. Once the desire is there, that's when you can get into the knowledge. That's when you can bring in the training. That's when the people will be engaged into understanding the training. And then once you get through that training piece, 
then you really have to identify the ability of the individuals to accomplish the task. Do they have the resources and the tools? Or do they have the ability to implement what they learn in training in their day-to-day -day job operations? And then there has to be a reinforcement going out of that. Incentivization, not just financial, but incentivization of, you know, hey, are we, are we, you know, are we giving high fives when we see that they're using the new technology? Are we, are we uh, speaking against negative barriers that would have someone continue to want to use that? So training is just knowledge. And that is only one piece of the change management methodology. Yeah, that's fascinating. Is, does the reinforcement part in your mind, it, you, you really talked about that as kind of an incentive and, and perhaps, you know, a positive reinforcement. Do you see also any type of support? I mean, we're, you know, we're very focused on the technology aspect of this. So does support fall into that reinforcement piece? In other words, if somebody forgets how to do something, uh, they've lost the knowledge, they've no longer retained that. Would, does that fit into like saying, how do they then go to have a knowledge base accessible or have other resources available to them or picking up a phone and calling 1-800 help desk or something like that? Does that fall mm -hmm. into that last piece? Yeah, definitely. Uh, it, 100%. So, but where I think anyone or any technology company has that 1-800 help desk, right? Yeah. And, and nine times out of 10, when you've got to call that 1-800 help desk, you're already frustrated. Uh, companies right. are not typically the best at providing answers. They have somebody that has a very baseline knowledge and understanding of it. So where that reinforcement really needs to come from, and this is where technology companies need to work with the adopters. So the companies that are purchasing the technology, that reinforcement needs to come from within the company. So you need to do some things like build out a workforce of technology ninjas. You know, it, you know if it's your technology, Find those, uh, find those individuals that are within those adopter groups. Um, again, that's another study out there of, you know, the adopter groups or you, uh, you know, an innovator, an early majority. Find those people typically within the early majority of an adopter group to be those, uh, those ninjas that are going to be planted within the office that when somebody's having an issue with the technology, they can go to their inner workforce, their, their peers to get that support. And then you also create a reinforcement uh, you know, area to say like, okay, hey, for the next 90 days after we hit go live with this new technology, we're gonna have weekly, uh, you know, weekly areas where we do office hour sessions. Or, you know, so if you're out there in the field, you can zoom into uh, the, uh, you know, the IT office and we're gonna answer questions as they come up. Or, so I think that the reinforcement Although you definitely need the company to provide that help desk support, you've got to build a good structural reinforcement foundation within the company that adopted the technology. And, and I'm not a change management professional, um, although you know we're involved with folks mm -hmm. like you who are. But one thing that I've noticed is helping those users understand that that support infrastructure is going to be in place later. Uh, it really removes a lot of the stress from mm -hmm. the initial adoption. I, I think one of the things uh, I've witnessed is when users are very anxious about having to consume, absorb uh, an awful lot of information and then lock it in as if this is the last time they're going to be able to learn this, right? That creates a lot mm -hmm. of stress for folks. And so communicating early and often that we're going to do the best we can to transfer this knowledge to you right now. But even after you go back about your role, we expect that you're going to have some questions mm -hmm. and that certain, uh, particularly things used in technology that are used infrequently, 
those seem to be one of the areas of, of biggest concern, you know, logging in and some of the basic functionality, you do that every day. And so you pretty much master it a day or two into this, right? Uh, but there are certain mm -hmm. functions that you may not use for weeks or months at a time. And when you encounter those things, there is an infrastructure here to support you on that. So you're not going to be left out on an island. That's right. Yep. You hit the nail on the head. I think you've, you've got to understand that technologies these days, we live in a, in a VUCA world, right? You know, volatile, uncertain, um, you know, complex and ambiguous. And so our technologies are a lot the same way. So there's, there's so many things that we don't understand about the functionalities of them. A lot of times uh, technology companies, even the individuals within those companies don't know about all the, the, the tricks and the tools and things that, that can be done within it. So I think that when you have your frontline workers or your individuals within an organization, when they understand that, yes, you know, we have a long rolled out rather than just real quick, hey, we got it. We've got a day of training. You're going to use it. It does create less anxiety. It helps them uh, jump on board with saying, hey, this is going to be good. Uh, especially if they have that awareness and desire. But I, I had a client that rolled out an entirely new uh, scheduling system and they got a three hour training and they were expected to use it. And they did not retire the legacy system. So you can probably only imagine what happened within that company. People, there were some individuals, the innovators that were all about it. They jumped on it, they wanted the new one. But anybody after the early majority they were resistant to taking the new change, especially since they did not do away with the legacy scheduling system. They just stayed using the old system. Why and wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they? You're right. I mean, it, you hit the nail on the head. Why wouldn't they? Especially if it was still there and it was still functional. So, yeah. you know, I think any company that is going to roll out technology to anyone, a great value add, even if it's on a scaled down level, is some sort of change management uh, you know, process that they can provide to the client to help them understand how can they better roll this out? Because at the end of the day, if your technology does not equal user engagement or end user adoption, uh, you know, the company's not going to be happy with the technology. It may be their fault that they didn't have change management methodology, but they're still not going to be happy with the technology. Yeah. Uh, it's, that's a really good point. And I, I want to transition a little bit to uh, your past and how you ended up in the role uh, that you have in the profession that you're following through with today. So first of all, you're, you're based in the Atlanta area. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I would love to, to just talk through a little bit about how you ended up in this role. You, if you would like to go all the way back to school and things like that, I'd love to hear that story about how you ended up in, in the role that you're in today. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I'll start it off. I, I'm a person in long-term recovery. And a lot of times when individuals who are in long or, or, or in, when individuals tell their stories, a lot of times it looks like a, you know, a straight train track down the road, right? You know, they start here, they go and they end here. A person in long-term recovery looks more like a train yard where it's like a, tr a track comes in and then it crosses and it goes 50 directions and then comes out on the other end. And that, that's a lot like my story, but my passion for change, uh, came through the biggest change that happened in my life back in 2011. And that was when I got clean and sober. Um, you know, I, I went through a big, a big piece of that was the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And if you look at it, that's really a change management methodology in itself, right? I mean, it really predates every organizational change management methodology, but 
Uh, I mean, it really is. And if you look at it, each 12 step, you can really put into the ad car model from awareness, you know, step one, you know, you admitted that you were powerless over alcohol. Um, and then you got desire, you know, you know, you'd made a decision, you know, to or you admitted that you were, uh, you know, you needed God to help you overcome that and you work through those, right? So they fit into those models and uh, seeing that, implementing that, and, you know, I do give credit to a spiritual life and things like that, but, but understanding a change management methodology and seeing what it did in my life uh, was monumental. So when I ultimately got into organizational development, which I found through, uh, I graduated with a psychology degree went through, uh, you know, career transitions of, uh, got into some uh, entrepreneurial type roles, but also played a lot in talent optimization, talent acquisition, uh, got involved heavily into uh, human resources and then into organizational development. So building upon all those, I started really understanding, well, well, hey, if we're looking at this from a more individual level, how do we better uh, form an organization through using a methodology to optimize the workforce, to uh, create, a, create an L&D department or a learning and develop, development department that actually gives skills that improve the career path of, uh, of your peers and your coworkers. So um, through a lot of that, that's when I tripped and fell right into change management. So I fell right into Cotter's eight-step model and it, it just like the 12 steps of AA from, from an organizational perspective, it, it, it was a light bulb moment for me. And I started implementing those eight steps and started working through those and uh, did that with uh, the implementation of new HRS systems, payroll systems. Uh, you know, a lot of it was built into HRIS, but also uh, creating and devising uh, leadership development plans employee performance plans, new benefit structures within organizations. So, um, you know, applying those uh, methodologies produced fruit and it only, you know, I guess bubbled up the fire even more and more within me. And so uh, being able to take that and then move into a consultant's uh, going for more of a director's role and uh, being a more of a visionary, seeing, building a team to structurally implement it to going into an area where I can, you know, go one-on-one -on -one with the client, understand what they're going through, be able to go back, take learned and proven measures and uh, implement those. Uh, it's, it's, it's really been a dream come true. And it's also helped me understand when I'm working with individuals, uh, you, you mentioned that I'm on the board of directors with that recovery organization. It helps me understand how do I help them build an organization that understands what does an individual need to understand going through recovery in order for success to happen. And a lot of times that's not 12 steps of AA for individuals, right? A lot of times they, you know, in the world today, path, uh, pathways to recovery are, are, are numerous. So there's a plethora of them, but they all boil down to the same change management uh, methodology and the way that our brains work. So I've been able to implement it, but that's a little bit of my background. No, you're making me wonder uh, how, what you learned as a person going through recovery has impacted your perception of the folks in your business. So is there, is there crossover there between things that you've learned as you're on your personal journey and allowing you to, uh, uh, perhaps 
enter into the, the thought about your users with a little bit more empathy about the change that they're encountering and how what you've learned has, has helped in your profession. I'd be curious to dig into that a little bit. Yeah, 100%. So um, the best part about human resources, and you can look at that within a specific discipline, or you can look at it from a broader perspective, but the best thing about human resources is the word human, right? Um, you know, we're dealing with humans, people, um, and more times than not, and I, and I understand it, I, I'm not immune to following falling into this trap, but when you are looking at what's best for the company, it's easy to say, well, okay, everyone here, your employees, you get paid a paycheck. This is what we need to do as a company. And you just need to do it. You need to fall in line. You need to adopt the technology, or you need to understand that your PTO policy is changing, or you need to understand that we're doing a reduction in workforce and we're going to reorganize, uh, you know, the company. And, you know, you know, it's while there's truth in that, and, you know, again, we have to understand that these things do happen within companies, you can't lose the human element of it. And what I love about change management is it allows, and it really provides proof that a company has to understand the person and the human side of an organization in order to see these changes happen. So for me in recovery, you might, uh, again, and I don't want to dog on this saying, but you probably have heard the, the concept of just say no, right? Yep. And that, that was a huge, I want to say it was Nancy Reagan, I think. Who, Nancy who, Reagan, I believe, yeah. back in the 80s. Yeah. And, you know, it sounds great. And, I, you know, and yeah, sure, just say no. Um, but anyone who struggles with addiction and alcoholism can't just say no. Now, there may be a point where they can say no, but someone who's in active addiction cannot just say no. And you have to understand that. You have to understand you know, what is that person who's struggling with that addiction or that, or that, that problem? And it is, and it isn't just addiction. It could be, you know, really any habit or hangup that somebody has that's detrimental to their, but you have to understand, you know, what they're going through and you have to understand it from a human level. And until you do that, you, you can't help them. So, so what, same with our frontline workers, right? You may run out there and how many times have we seen a company that think that they think they have this mind blowing technology that's going to revolutionize everything? They throw it out there and it's an utter failure. And it's because they did not truly understand why the frontline worker was unable to implement it and get it integrated into their system. Um, you know, or let's say you implemented it and you had a, a mass exodus from the company, right? Now all of a sudden they're extremely unhappy. So yeah, so when you work through this, we have to understand there's a human element to it. We can't just, they're not robots, they're not cobots, they're not, you know, uh, you know, they're not uh, autonomous, uh, you know, individuals that, that don't have feelings, histories, pasts, or, um, or abilities that are different from other, others that make it hard to implement it. So, it. so being in recovery, working with others, if I'm working with someone who has financial resources, I'm, that person, I have to work with them differently than someone who has no financial resources. So I've got to look at it. And that's just one variable, but. I think you're the it. first person on the podcast to reference the um, kind of financial, you know, demographics of the users. And I think that's really insightful. Uh, one of our team members said one day we were having uh, an innovation brainstorming session about uh, the technology 
that we build. And one of our team members said, you have to understand that many of the men and women that we serve may be kind of living paycheck to paycheck and that mm -hmm. the technology that their employer is kind of forcing them to use might threaten their livelihood or give them the perception that their livelihood is threatened, right? Mm -hmm. And that was a really powerful moment for me as a professional, especially one that's involved in this. And, and I have a high sensitivity for the frontline workers. I, I'm truly passionate about serving them, but I admit I'm probably not in the same financial situation as a lot of the men and women that we serve. And so it didn't occur to me that some of these people, it's not just about them being uncomfortable to change or that they never wanted to be a tech wizard. So they just are reluctant mm -hmm. to use this new technology, but they may feel so threatened by it because of their financial circumstance. And I think that's something that's probably left out. I think a lot of the other folks at corporate, you know, in many of the companies that we work with are um, not thinking about the, the potential. And again, just from a perception, they know that they're not planning to lay off two thirds of the workforce because of this technology, but the, mm -hmm. that workforce doesn't necessarily know that. And That's so right. uh, we have to all be better at thinking about those circumstances and, and trying to put ourselves in their shoes. 100%. Yeah. yeah. It, you've got to put yourself in their shoes. I couldn't say it any better. If you think back in your career path, it, it sounds like you've just landed in a perfect role for you in uh, the, the brief time that we've had to get to know one another uh, prior to today. And now today, uh, it sounds like you're just really in a perfect spot based on your background. But if there's anything that you could change in your past, would, it, would you change uh, the trajectory, whether through school or from some of your earlier roles in your career? Um, so <laughs> uh, because I'm in recovery, I will tell you, I will change. I would change nothing from my past. Um, now, you know, that's hindsight, that's hindsight, right? That's me sitting where I am today. Everything that I have today is a culmination of every decision, good or bad, uh, that's led me to where I am. Um, now, are there things that I wish didn't happen? Sure, um, but we can't change the past and we can only move forward and we can only uh, you know, build upon what we've done. But if I had to, if I had to look at someone who may be at an earlier point in their life, or they may be there. What I would say is, is uh, you know, take control of, you know, your your human skill set. That's the first thing that I would say is understand that you know, frontline workers. Uh, you know, I was there at one point. I was I was frontline worker for the airline industry. You know, out there loading uh, airplanes, pushing them out, bringing them in. Uh, you know, I've, I've been a frontline worker in the restaurant industry. I've done a lot of things like that. Um, but what we need to understand is, is that in the world we live in today and the way that things are coming with technology is we always have to be improving upon our skill set. We need to understand that, you know, hey, I may always want to do frontline work, but I need to understand that that frontline work may change. Um, you know, I feel like I'm blessed in the fact that I had some mentors in my life put that in into me very early and over the past 10 years i've never forgotten it and i've continued to work through it but um so but yeah i would not change anything in my past i'm grateful for everything that's happened even the the worst parts of it um you know i wouldn't have the family i have today the the job that i have today um if i hadn't gone through it yeah i think that's great well and it sounds like you've really turned something that could be negative into something just massively positive, both for yourself and I'm sure your immediate circle and, and also in your career. And I think a lot of people mm -hmm. are probably benefiting from the journey that you are on and all that you've learned 
Right. And so, uh, I think that's, uh, you know, fantastic way to, you know, create positive out of something that, uh, you know, might not be positive, uh, by its nature. Yeah, I, I hope so. I hope so. I hope that I only want to, I only want to improve the world. That's, you know, I, and I, we're not perfect at that, or I'm not perfect at that, but at the end of the day, if I can help somebody else, especially somebody who's as hopeless as I was. Um, and, you know, again, if we want to tie that into change management, uh, you know, when, when big organizational, come, uh, organizational change comes, it, it causes a lot of hopelessness within organizations. So if we can come in and we can help bring some hope uh, through change management methodology, it's awesome. That's fantastic. Well, you're clearly well-studied in your field. And, you know, you talked a lot of uh, acronyms that I have in my notes now that I need to go research, mm -hmm. but I'm curious, where do you learn, you know, what kind of events, uh, you know, virtual or in-person, where do you go learn new things um, to develop professionally? Um, so really all over the place since 2020, uh, you know, events have kind of been few and far between. I really don't like the virtual event, but uh, I'm a huge proponent of podcasts. Um, so, and I will kind of follow rabbit trails down. Um, so if I'm listening to a podcast, someone's listening here and they hear about the R William Bridges model, or they hear about ADCAR, um, you know, I'm a type person that will go and research that. And then I'll buy books on it and read it. And, um, and then that may lead me to another, and I follow that rabbit trail. So, uh, to me, the biggest, uh, place of knowledge right now is, um, uh, staying close and connected with, uh, influencers within uh, the industry. So if I follow a lot of individuals on LinkedIn. I read their posts. Um, I uh, listen to podcasts on change management, on uh, leadership, business, uh, pick up on key things, follow those rabbit trails. And then luckily when you're involved in an organization, the great thing is, is you always want to find an organization that cares about your personal development so, you know, they provide resources as well and, and training and they want they want to make sure that that my skill set is up to par. So they provide those resources. That's why I love the companies that I've that my previous company, Prime Retail Services, as well as Cerner, they're very involved in making sure that, that we're given the resources we need to do our job well. And, and now we collectively need to pass that on to the others in the organization, right? So that they have Agreed. that same feeling that we are there helping them to develop and, and ensure success in their roles, both, you know, personally and in their roles, right? 100%. That's good. I knew this was going to happen uh, because it's been a, a great chat, but we're already coming up at the, the end of our time here. So um, I need to wrap it up there, but I really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to visit today. And uh, I'm going to put a couple of the links in the show notes for the audience uh, to some of the articles and to the organizations that you mentioned today. So thank you for sharing some of that. Yeah, no, thank you for the opportunity. Anytime. This was Good. fun. Okay. Well, we're going to wrap it up there. I hope you found this conversation as enjoyable as I have. And if so, please share and rate the podcast. Five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. Visit our website at skillful.com. That's S-K-Y-L-L-F-U-L.com. And if you or someone you know is out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn and share your story. And we'll see you on the, ne the next episode. Thank you. Thanks. Excellent.